We are in Ecclesiastes. Uh, we made it partway into chapter five last time. So we're going to pick it right up in chapter five, verse eight. And what Solomon did in the first part of chapter five, if you weren't here last week, is he just evaluates like a preacher's kid that has left the church and looks back at what he saw. He evaluates religion. It's super good. Like here are the pitfalls of religion. Look out for it because it'll get you. And now he kind of goes on a rant. And the rant kind of lasts until chapter seven, when I said on Sunday, he puts on his grandpa hat and mellows out. So it's just a kind of a long rant. So we'll just pick it up there. Chapter eight, chapter five, verse eight. Rant number one. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. I love that. For the high official is watched by a higher and there are yet higher ones over them. Everyone has somebody else to blame, right? Isn't that government? There's always, not, not my fault, man, it was his fault. No, not his, all the way up the chain. But this is gain for the land in every way. A king committed to cultivated fields. Rant number one, government's not gonna solve your problems. Do you guys know that? Right? Don't be shocked by bad government is what Solomon says. When you see this stuff, don't be amazed. When you see how broken government is, don't be like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that. Like what if cable news could not report on bad government? They'd go out of business. They'd be bankrupt. That's all they talk about. But here's what it is. Government is crooked people ruling over crooked people. What are you going to get? Lombard Street in San Francisco, right? That one that just, that's what you're gonna get. It's just gonna be all over the place. You're gonna be like, what in the world are they doing? They're changing their minds every single week. Why are they doing that? Crooked people over crooked people. And I'm not saying that the government does not try. They do, but there's a problem with it. So if you remember back, now it's 11 years, 2008, the housing crisis, brutal, right? Caused a lot of problems. There's a book I read on it. I found it so fascinating. It's called The Big Short. You want a really interesting book because we're gonna do it again, is The Big Short. And they gave this example that I think typified what went wrong. And the example was this house in Florida that these people bought for $400,000. And then over the course of about six years, they took out $2.1 million in mortgages on that home. Here's how they did it. The appraiser, the mortgage broker, the buyer and the realtor were in together. And so what happened, the buyer bought it and then in a year he wanted to take a mortgage out on it. So he had his appraiser come out and say, this thing's worth 800,000 now. Oh, perfect. Well, I wanna take out $400,000. Another year, they do it again. Another, and they just kept doing that until they got 2.1 million on it and then they just turned it over to the bank. And they played kind of inside the law and kind of not inside the law. But isn't it, you're like, well, maybe we could prosecute them, but we're not really sure because what they do wrong. 
right? That was happening all over our nation, this way of playing the system. And so today we have new laws. But if you look at a lot of what's happening right now, guess what's happening? We're doing it again. Why? Because laws do not change a heart of a human. Greed is so powerful. It will find a loophole. It will dig around. It'll get around all that kind of stuff. This is what Solomon's saying. Don't be amazed by it. It's crooked people. Don't be amazed. Don't be like shocked when you find out the next scandal. All of these things, when I see bad government, you know what it makes me do? Pray for the king. You know what we need? We need the king to return. Until the king returns, we're gonna have these cycles. Good, bad, okay, not okay. We're gonna just have these cycles until the king finally returns. So Solomon gives one hint at what he thinks is good government. And it's this. There is gain for a land in every way if a king, the guy that's over it, is committed to cultivated lands. You know what cultivating is? You're just preparing the land, right? You are tilling it up. You're adding in manure. You're watering it. You're getting the land so that it's full of potential for the seed to come and grow and produce. That's what Solomon's saying. A king who is committed to saying, the fields of opportunity in my kingdom, I'm gonna make sure they are primed so that people can plant and produce and have yields from it. He says, that's the best kind of government. I agree with him. I think the best kind of government is a government that says we are gonna give a fair and equal opportunity to every single citizen to take advantage of the natural resources of what's there so you can do as much as possible. I, I agree with Solomon, but what do I know? I'm just a pastor. So Solomon, number one rant, government, not gonna solve your problems. Number two, verse 10. He who loves money, will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Rant number two, money won't solve your issues. Government's not gonna do it and money won't do it either. And I love verse 11. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. I wonder about Solomon. I'm like, hmm, Solomon, well, you know, it would help if you didn't get married every 15 minutes right? I mean, you got a lot of mouths to feed right there. You got a thousand women plus maybe two or three kids. You you got a small army. I mean, come on. No wonder why you're so like, where's all my money going? Right there. (laughs) He's warning us. Money will never make you satisfied. And I love his little statement here. The laborer, the guy who goes out and is a hod carrier, the guy who goes out and cuts trees, the guy who labors, he comes home, hits that pillow, and guess what happens? Lights out. The rich dude 
eating all kinds of great food and enjoying it. He comes home and he tosses and turns. The more money you have, the less sleep you get. How much is sleep worth? Like a really good night's sleep. How much is that worth? Yeah, can you put a price on that? So I was in Whitefish with my son, Elijah, and we had a double bed for both of us. And have you slept with an 11 year old boy? It's like a Tasmanian devil's in your, he just, he does these like, he's just like, what? And like whacking me everywhere. Like about every 15 minutes I get hit or kicked by him. And then I'd, I'd wake up, I'd be freezing because he's got all the covers. Man, I was just ready to kick him off. Sleep on the ground, man. Good night's sleep is worth it. Like, here's what I, I think. Um, there's a new mattress company every week in Grants Pass, is there not? You just think, what in the, how in the world do we support all these mattress companies? Like you can buy them online. I think there's something illegal going. I think they're stuffing them full of pot and then like shipping them across the, <laughs> call the FBI. There's no way we can support all these mattress companies. They're doing something illegal. But it's that idea like, well, sleep is so important. The older you get, the more you value sleep. And Psalm would say, you want good sleep? Work, go out and work. Do not worship your money. You can worship with your money, using it for God's kingdom. But if you worship your money, it is a terrible, terrible taskmaster. It'll take away the most precious thing you can get, which is sleep. So government won't solve your issues. Money's not gonna solve your issues. And then thirdly, there's a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owners to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. Anyone? (laughs) And he is father of a son, but has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came, and he shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days, he eats in darkness in much, much vexation and sickness and anger. Money can't buy you security. I don't care how big your bank account is. There's someone richer than you that's gone bankrupt, that has nothing. And this guy is stingy. He's keeping it all to himself and then loses it all. And I love verse 15. He was born naked and he's gonna die naked, right? When you come out of the womb, you don't have a credit card in your hand. You don't have a fistful of dollars like I'm ready to tackle the world. That's exactly how you go as well. And we should keep like those things in tension when we think about it. So even though a baby comes out with nothing, what are the first two words they learn? No and mine. And when you tell somebody to be generous, I don't care how old they are, the first words that come back to them are no and mine, right? And there's this idea in us that, hey, well, I'll be generous when I hit this level. Is that true? No way. 
Every study has shown poor people are always more generous than rich, rich people. I've used this before. The poorest state in America is Mississippi. The most generous state in America is Mississippi. Like it's just, what? Because they're closer to it. As you get rich, as you get more wealthy, you get away from the issues and the problems of the poor and you just think, well, they can figure it out. Why, you know, just pull the... Well, when you're close to it, you realize the things that are warring against you to ever pull yourself out of that problem because you're close to it. So poor people are always more generous, right? So people that think, well, when I get rich, I'll be more generous. No, you won't. It's the little things we're doing right now. It's like when I do marriage counseling or talk to premarital people and they're like, well, I know we got some issues, but we'll get married and then it'll all fix itself. Like, really? That's stupid, right? I just tell them this. Here's what it is. You, right now in your relationship, the amp is on one. You get married, it goes up to 10 with distortion. So whatever little things in you right now are bothering you about him or her, man, crank it up. The same thing, whatever I am right now, if I get more money, I'll just be more of it. That's all it'll be. If I'm stingy right now, I'll be more stingy with more money. It's the little things I'm doing now. Am I stingy? This guy was stingy. And it led to this grievous evil. I wanna be a person that takes the little things today. How am I living? How do I look at my money? Is it my security or am I a steward of it? And I'm using it to grow God's kingdom. Stewarding it is the way to do, right? So we did verses 18 through 20 on a Sunday. I'll read it, recap real quick. Behold, what I have seen to be good. So he stops his rent for a second. I've been down, 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 down. Now, hold on, I'm gonna get a little wisdom here. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them, to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Love this. Solomon says, here's what's good. Number one, eat some great food with your friends. Great meal, great conversation, great laughter. We had a ton of that in Whitefish. It was so fun. Sit around, guys, you know what it, how it is. You know, one guy tells a story and then what does the next guy got to do? One up them. So you just start laughing at that. Like, oh my goodness. So just great food, great friends, fun. Do that. Number two, enjoy your job. At the least, find ways to enjoy what you're doing. Okay, God? This is what you have me do. I'm doing it because it does these things. I can pay my bills. I can take care of my family. Find a way to enjoy the job that you have. Number three, know your lot in life. There are certain things you and I can never change about ourselves. You can't make yourself taller. If you're not funny, you can't just all of a sudden become funny. There are just certain things you say, this is who I am. And at some point in your life, you just gotta say, okay, God, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Psalm 139, and I trust that you've made me this way for a certain design and purpose. I'm gonna find that. So you just, okay, with my lot in life. Be grateful. A number of times it says a gift of God. God has given this to him. Just be grateful. And then I love the last verse. Don't remember the, the old days because you're occupied with joy in your heart. And what I said is this, too many Christians are professional archeologists. Every morning they wake up and they just dig up their past and they bring it out and they brood over it, brood over their mistakes or their stupidity or this or that. And then the whole day is just, ah, they're dirty all day. Just, ah, professional archeologists. Like quit that job. Quit doing that. Quit brooding over the past. Paul says this, Philippians 3, verse 14. This one thing I do, I forget those things that lay behind and I reach forward to the high calling that God has on me. And that is such wisdom. Rearview mirror is small, windshield is big. We should be looking forward, looking forward. And that's what he says. Get a new occupation, I say, right? And I think part of the mistake that we do when we're archeologists is this, we're always comparing ourselves to other people because everybody puts on a facade. Right Before Instagram ever came out, people were still doctoring up their photos, like making sure it looked like this, make sure people think I'm this. How are you doing today? Excellent, man, praise God. Just loving the Lord, just in the word, just praying. Really? I don't think so. So then we look at ourselves and we think, I'm terrible, I'm such a bum, I'm horrible, they've got it all made up, right? I say, no way. We're all bums, that's the truth. And there's one hero and it's Jesus. And the more we look to him and the more we listen to him and the more we follow him, the better our life is. Not the archeologist getting dirty over our past or the guy that's comparing himself to somebody else. Those two are just loser situations. If you get rid of those two, then I think what happens is God keeps you occupied with joy. Get rid of your past and get rid of the comparison thing. And what you find is I can enjoy today. Like today is a great gift from Jesus. How much does he enjoy it? I think it's just wisdom. So he kicks right back off on his rant. So uh, in chapter seven, I said, he gets into the grandpa mode, the mentor mode, but he's got one last thing he wants to do. And this is, this is what he's gonna do. He's gonna say this, beware. You can work your whole life, hard, diligent, go for it and not get what you want. Do you know that? You can work your whole life going for it. You're not a slacker. You're going for it. Work your whole life. And at the end of it, you're like, wait a second. Why'd I do that? And this is his warning, okay? Like I joke about this, but I think it's true. It seems like we're feeding into younger and younger people that the goal of life is to retire. In college, I had to take a course on retiring. I'm like, I'm 19, I'm not even thinking of the Roth IRA, make sure you've got like all this stuff, make, make sure you're contributing this. And there's wisdom in that, no doubt. But it's like, are you kidding me? My life, it will not be orchestrated around trying to retire. I'm not gonna do that. It gets nuts now. My five-year-old Myron is already getting mail in, you know, like Myron, do you have a Roth IRA? Oh, you are behind. You are never gonna retire. You're five already. I'm like, oh, this is insane. Right? And the other thing that really, it puzzles me is this idea of a long life. Like everybody wants to live a long life. And I asked somebody, why do you want to live a long life? 
His answer to me was this, to live a long life. I'm like, that's weird. So you wanna live a long life, but your goal is to just live a long life. Like normally you think, hey, I wanna get out of debt, why? Well, because then I'm gonna start an orphanage in Mexico or I'm gonna start this business or something. Usually you have this goal because you've got something to do with your goal. But the actual goal of living a long life is just to live a long life. What if it's a stinky, terrible life? Who cares then, right? Like it's, it's I'm telling you, it's weird. And so Solomon is like, look out for this weirdness. Look out for this. So evaluate your life. Like read into it. What am I doing? Why am I doing it? Okay, so he is going to deconstruct this. And Solomon is the guy that says, listen, I've already arrived. I got a billion followers, billion friends on Facebook. Come on, right? My Snapchat is exploding. I'm as big as it comes. Trust me on this one. So this is what he's gonna do. Just two points and we'll be done. Verse one, chapter six, there is an evil. So he's really hitting on this grievous evil, government, money. Here's another one. Here's an evil that I've seen under the sun and it, lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Dude's arrived, he's successful. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things. And also he has no burial. I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and it goes in darkness. And in darkness, its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he, even though he should live a thousand years twice and yet enjoy no good and do not all go to one place. Psalm would say this, success and enjoyment are not the same. Do you know that? Success and enjoyment of life are not the same thing. We're told that they are, we're read that all the time. Hey, if, you, if you'll just succeed, if you'll get these, if you'll be able to do all these things, man, that's life. But you can check off all the boxes and at the end of the day, you don't enjoy life. Success and enjoyment are not the same. Like we can toil to just build this bridge to joy and build this bridge. To, hey, this is gonna do it. And then you get to the end of your bridge and you're like, oh my goodness, I built the bridge in the wrong spot. Have you ever seen the picture of that? I actually grabbed it. Have you seen this picture? You can show that. <laughs> you know what happened there? Hurricane Mitch. So the Japanese wanted to bless Honduras with this incredible bridge. And at one time, right when they finished it, the river was going underneath the bridge and they just completed it. Then Hurricane Mitch hit and guess what happened? The river moved. Dude, that's so many people's life, right? I just finished the bridge, dude. In the end, oh my goodness. The, everything moved on me. You can turn it off. That's a bummer. Sadly, that's a lot of people's lives. And Solomon's saying, be careful of that. 
You can think you're building your bridge to success, but you're building in the wrong spot. Be so careful. And the picture he gets is this. He's like, so you have a, like, like you gotta go way back for this. You have a hundred kids. Man, 3,000 years ago, that was success for a man. I don't know what it was for his wife. <laughs> Misery, but for a man, that was like success. You nailed it, man. God has blessed you. You are Forbes top 10. You've lived a thousand years twice. Long life meant God's favor. You've done all that. So we'd be today if I just said, pull out a piece of paper, write your own ticket and it's done. Whatever you want, whatever you think success is, God will give it to you right now. What would you write on that? And I know this is church, so we're not honest really. We're like, just Jesus, that's all I want. No, it's not. You know there's other things. I'd like to pay off my house. I'd like to have this car. I'd like, to, like make your whole list, whatever, whatever success is, you know, everything that you think it is. And then what the Bible says is this, you can have all that and still not enjoy it. Still have a soul that he says is unsatisfied. You got everything, but you can't find any satisfaction. Now, isn't there a Rolling Stone song like that? That's it, okay? And I, I just experienced this. So we had four days in Whitefish of snowboarding. And uh, I'm with my 11-year-old Elijah. Um, he's learning snowboarding. So we had gone up a couple times this year to kind of get ready for Whitefish. And I've snowboarded a long time. I started snowboarding in 1990. I mean, that just sounds crazy to say. So I've been snowboarding a long time and I'm pretty good. I'm fast. I can go fast on a snowboard. I can. And I'm not bragging. I just, it's just the truth. I can go fast. <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out how do you say that well? It's just the way it is. So I'm with Elijah for just that's, I just hung with him. You know, I can't just leave him on this mountain. Bro, it's up to you. You're 11 now. You're a man. Good luck with that. I know it's minus five. If you freeze, too bad. Okay, let's go. So I couldn't leave him. So I'm kind of with him and, and I'm, I'm just going his pace for the first 3.75 days. And then on Friday, our last day at uh, two o'clock, he goes, I gotta go. I'm done. I'm tired. My legs were tired too. I said, okay, bud. And it was so awesome there. You get off this lift and you could snowboard or ski right to, back to our house that we were staying in. It was just amazing. So I took him down there and got him off. And so I'm like, I got two hours, man. So I blazed back up to the top and I just started, I started going fast. And it was kind of, it was really kind of miserable because the wind was up. So there's like very few people on the mountain at this point. They were just kind of le- wisely like my son leaving, but I was not. So I'm going and there was this clock, right? It was telling me this clock, like uh, 2.10. And I'm like, I wonder how long it would take me to go down this run, get in line, get on the lift, come back up. I wonder how long that would take me. So, so I tried it once. It was 13 minutes. I went, I can beat that. Next time, 11 minutes. Next time, 10 minutes. I'm telling you, that's fast. It's get off the lift, look at the time, buckle up, which takes about a minute, go down, wait in line, take the lift all the way back up, 10 minutes. So I'm just flying. And, and I'm like, this is what I thought I wanted to do. And then guess what? Oh yeah, someone says I crashed. I broke, you know. No, I just, I, I, on the lift, like the last time I thought, you know what? I actually enjoyed going slow with my son better. Sometimes we build the bridge in the wrong spot. Man, if I could just, I just wanna go fast again. No, actually I miss my son. I'd rather be going slow behind him and cheering him on. Like that's better to me. 
And so there's this thing that we should be doing, Solomon's saying this, look out. Success and enjoyment are not the same thing. We think success is, if I can make this loop in 10 minutes. No, it was actually taking 25 minutes and following your son, that was better. He's saying, be careful of that, right? And then next, verse seven, all the toil of a man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. That is an underliner. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? Smarts will not get you out of that thing right there. The human condition. And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Whatever has come to be has already been named and it is known what man is and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for a man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow. For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? We did verses 10 through 12 on a Sunday. Uh, who says is the name of it? Who gets to say what's good? Uh, I think there's different sources. We, we talked about that. So I'll just talk about verses seven through nine. And what Solomon says right there is this. You'll always have an appetite. Get over it. I don't care what you have, where you're at, you're always going to have an appetite. You need to learn to get over it, right? It's like when you were young, remember what would happen when you were young, like 10 or nine, and you'd be trying to eat a snack at like four o'clock, would your mom say to you? Don't spoil your appetite. If we were smart enough back then, we would have said, listen, mom, in approximately four hours, I'll have a brand new appetite. Don't worry about it. I'm gonna keep having an appetite like that for the rest of my life. So it's no big deal. But we weren't smart enough back then. Right? Solomon's saying, that's life. Life is this continual appetite. So there's a Psalm, Psalm 106, verses 15 and 16, brilliant. I love the King James, it says this. It says that God gave them their requests, but sent leanness to their soul. You really want that, Matt? Yes, God, I really want this. Give it to me, please, please. Matt, it's not gonna do it for you. Please, I just want it, I want it. Fine, you can have it. And then what you end up with is a lean soul, right? People just think, this is going, I just need a wife. If I just had a wife, everything would be happy. I'd be, and God says, okay, fine, have a wife. If I just had a different wife, everything would be happy. I just want a different wife, <laughs> right? I just want kids, I just want kids, I want kids so bad. I've got kids, oh my goodness. Where'd all my money go? Right? I want a new job, I don't like this job anymore, I want a new job. Oh, I hate this job. I want a different house, I want someone house, I want to get a new house. God says, okay, fine, get a new house. God, I want different neighbors. These neighbors are terrible here. Please, could you change my neighbors too? Right? There's, there's, you're just always gonna have this appetite. That's what Solomon's saying. You need to know that. I had this quote by 
John Milton. I've been saying to my kids for the last like three months. I do this to my kids. I repeat the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. Till they're like, dad, be quiet. Now you got it, okay, good. And it's this. It says, uh, the mind is a place unto itself. It can make a heaven out of hell or a hell out of heaven. I love that. It's so true. The mind is a place, you'll, it's your brain right here. I, I don't care what your circumstance, it might be hell around you. There are people that live in hell that just, they have an amazing enjoyment in the middle of it. Why? Because they understand it's right here. And there are people that are in heaven. Like, are you kidding me? You, who could have it better than you? And they're miserable, they're in hell. That's what that statement is saying. It's right up here. This little thing is so powerful. So Solomon is hitting this thing. We did a homesick series about six months ago, where he said, you're always gonna be homesick. This is not home. You gotta know that. It's great, there's great things and we can celebrate and we can enjoy things, absolutely. But know this, there's always gonna be an angst deep in your soul that says, is this it? Yep, because the king's not here. Paradise isn't here. And so make heaven out of hell, if you get what I'm trying to say. So how do I do that? Two ways, number one, Verse 10 says this, that there is, that a man is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. I think Solomon is going back to his understanding of God and God's nature. That ultimately there's one stronger than me. I might be the top right now. I might feel like I'm the top. I'm the king. I got everything I want. But even though I'm at the top of the world, there's still one stronger than me. And I need to trust that one that's stronger than me, right? That God is sovereign. And Jesus would say this, and it's in Matthew chapter 21, verse 44. He says this, if you fall on this rock, you'll break. But if this rock falls on you, you're crushed. If you allow God's sovereignty to break you and you trust him, man, it's brilliant. But if you resist God's sovereignty, no, I'm not, it's gonna crush you because he's stronger than you. It just does not work. Now, if God was only sovereign, just a dictator, man, be afraid of him, but he's not just sovereign. The Bible over and over says this, he also loves you. He also loves you. The strong one, wants the best for you. Here's what I'm finding more and more in life. I would rather have what God has for me than what I think I want. I don't pray Psalm 106 verses 15 and 16 anymore, right? I, I want, God, I want what you want for me because it's always me better. I'm gonna stop making my request to you because I think I sometimes request the wrong things. I build the bridge in the wrong spot. So God, I want your wisdom is what I want. I pray, God, today, may I follow Jesus well because where he ends up is good, really good. I, on Tuesday, we took the staff and we had a long staff day. And so at lunchtime, we just walked through the building. I just giggle because you guys know this, like my dream when Edgewater started was maybe we could get one of the price chopper buildings. Remember those? The one that's out by, uh, it's now Planet Fitness and the ones at the tractor place uptown. Like a dream, that would be so amazing. And I think, oh my goodness, this thing's so much better. Wow. That's what God does. Always better than what I want. 
my wife, my kids, the staff at Edgewater. I just, I giggle because the staff is so good at Edgewater. Like, oh my goodness, you guys are amazing. I get to work with the most amazing people. Like my dream, when I thought about starting a church years and years ago is, God, if we could just have 200 people, I'd be so happy. I mean, it's just amazing. 200 people, the best in the world. What I'm finding is, trust the one that's stronger than me. Why wouldn't I? His plans are better and bigger and more awesome. I just wanna get in line with your plans. That's what we do. Quit making my request that it seems so small and insignificant and say, I just wanna follow Jesus. You're my king and where you go is good. And then secondly, verse nine says this, better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. We have to learn this great thing called contentedness. Imagine if you could go back to your 18 year old self and you could say to your 18 year old self, hey, when you're whatever, you're gonna have this. How impressed would your 18 year old self be with you? Right? Like you have a fridge with food in it? Oh, yeah, dude. You got money in your bank account? Whoa. That's awesome. You got to go snowboarding and whitefish for four days? You must be Bill Gates. That's amazing, right? And yet what happens? We just grow into it. Instead of being like, wow, man, nobody has it better than me. I got it amazing. Like no matter where you're at right now, you have the three greatest things in life, faith, hope and love. Faith is this walk that we have, this partnership with Jesus that we get to do stuff with him and accomplish stuff with him. It's purpose. We all got that, faith. We have hope. We have hope that the one who's stronger than us sits on the throne and has a plan. Read Revelation chapter five. There's a scroll in the lamb's hand It's the plan and it's a good plan, brilliant plan. We have hope that he is able to change the things that we see that are broken in ourselves and broken in the people around us. That he actually has the power to take what the enemy wants to use for evil and turn it for good. And that is a rich hope. And we're loved. We are loved. We are loved, loved, loved people. Every single one of us has that. I'm telling you, there's no ladder to success that's better than those three things. And that's given to each of us because of our king. We are rich. Better is the side of the eyes. Better is the side of the eyes. The mind is a place in itself. It can make a heaven out of hell or a hell out of heaven. What's your perspective? Do you know you've got faith, purpose, hope, a future, and love right now? You are rich. I'm rich. Jesus. You are good, and you always do what's good. May we have the faith 
the eyes to see your goodness. Forgive me, Lord, for my discontentedness, for building bridges to nowhere when you've already made the path so clear and so right. And you've given to me riches that can never be taken away, an inheritance that's incorruptible, a destination that's brilliant. May we learn these lessons from Solomon, a wise man, a guide. May we learn that success does not lead to enjoyment. It's a different route. That joy is actually a fruit of your spirit, independent of success or circumstances. May we learn that money doesn't solve all problems. It's helpful. It's useful. It's a great servant, but a terrible master. And we, may we not allow it into our hearts to drive us in directions that destroy us. And may we know that your plans for each of us are plans of good, not of evil, to bring us to a glorious end. That's your plan. You're the strong one. May we hide behind your shield. You're the strong one. May we trust you. You're the strong one. May this day we recommit ourselves to you. You're the goal. It's you. So go with us. Bless us. Empower us. May we be occupied with your joy, we pray. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.